Hello and welcome to the African Tech Roundup, episode 73 for the week ending Monday, September 5th, 2016. This is where we round up the week's most important tech, digital and innovation news from across the African continent. My name is Andy Lemasugu, glad you could join me. In today's show, I'll be sharing more exclusive clips of conversations I had with people I met at Demo Africa 2016 that happened in Santon, South Africa two weeks ago. I'll keep it locked to hear snippets from conversations I had with the Principal Investment Officer for Africa at Singularity Investments, Lexi Novitska, the publisher of CIO East Africa magazine, who is also the CEO of Demo Africa, Harry Hare, as well as two promising startup founders who made it to the final pitching phase of this year's competition at Demo Africa, but didn't win a spot in the top five, Ishmael Rahdawi from Morocco and Brian Ondari from Kenya. Now that's all coming up later, but we'll have to get to this week's news headlines first, which include Mark Zuckerberg visiting Nigeria and Kenya to soak up the vibe the two countries' tech scenes, the Nigerian government's decision to license 11 more international money remittance services, including World Remit, and South African transport tech company Where Is My Transport raising £1.16 million in funding. In the meantime, though, a special welcome to you if you're joining me for the first time. You can always catch up on all our past episodes whenever you like by clicking through to africantechroundup.com. You can also find us on Twitter at African Roundup or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash African Tech Roundup. And of course, if you'd like to contribute to the show, you can write us an email or send us an audio note via hello at africantechroundup.com. Now, this episode of the African Tech Roundup is brought to you by our sister podcast, African Tech Conversations. The series features relaxed, in-depth chats that I've had with leading entrepreneurs, innovators, and executives who are intimately involved in Africa's tech scene. Now, featured in the latest installment of the African Tech Conversations podcast is the illustrious Tommy Davies, who is widely considered the godfather of Africa's angel investment scene. He is the founding president of the African Business Angels Network, ABAN, and just happens to be a very wise man with a taste for the finer things in life. Uh, what would your favorite Nigerian delicacy be? Oh, I mean, my kitty antecedents show up in that's pounded yam with a goosey and stockfish. Oh, man. All right. For those of us who speak English, what is that? It's pounded yam with vegetable soup and stockfish. Wow, stockfish would be the, the dried one. Yeah, it's just the dry fish that's then soaked. It's I think it's the Norwegians or the Scandinavians that, you know, may, it's, it's a long dried fish. And when it comes to us, then it's soaked and then it's cooked with a vegetable. Ah, yes. The show brings you Africa's tech thought leaders like you've never heard them before. To listen, simply head to our SoundCloud account at soundcloud.com forward slash African Tech Roundup. And all you need to do is click on the African Tech Conversations playlist and listen away. But now it's time to get into this week's news. First up, in a week that saw the Nigerian economy officially slip into recession, uh, Mark Zuckerberg's trip to the continent dominated headlines in that country. And his visit to Nigeria, and indeed Kenya, was largely met with enthusiasm, it seems. Uh, He made a series of surprise visits, quote-unquote surprise, (laughs) uh, to some of the continent's biggest tech hubs, starting with the co-creation hub in Lagos, where he met with key players in the Nigerian tech ecosystem, including the team at the coding talent platform, Andela, uh, which, of course, is an initiative that Mark and his wife, Priscilla Chan, have invested in through their foundation. Now, this particular visit was dubbed by a senior team member at Andela as, quote, a reverse pilgrimage of sorts, because 
I suppose that speaks to how many techies on the continent must dream about visiting Silicon Valley at some point in their lives and perhaps bumping into Mark Zuckerberg. But hey, how much more fun if he just pops into the office? Well, Mark spent some time in Nairobi also, where he visited uh, iHub and had lunch with the Kenyan Cabinet Secretary of Information and Communications, Mr. Joseph Mucheru, um, before heading back to Nigeria to look in on the Aso Villa Demo Day finale. Now, his trip saw him do a fair amount of you know, the obligatory hobnobbing with politicians like Nigeria's first citizen, uh, President Buhari, uh, who he actually suited up to meet. Now, some people who initially thought that Mark had plans to snub the president and and duck without meeting him uh you know twitter has no chill of course that wasn't the case he just you know happened to 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 meet the president only after he got back from kenya there was a keynote address in a Q&A session he made while he was on the continent and um in that talk mark kept his tone congenial and inspirational um i reckon it's quite a talent when you can make facebook you know in their unbridled aspiration to totally dominate the world sound like something that just kind of makes sense for everybody you know and that does take some doing but all in all it's fair to say that mark zuckerberg came out winning in the pr stakes uh, which i guess is good for him but then the news of the ground explosion of spacex's falcon 9 rocket which of course had facebook's internet.org satellite on board kind of took the shine off things the launch was planned for last saturday but it was no doubt meant to be the cherry on the cake as far as his visit to africa was concerned of course the satellite um uh, the Amos 6 designed to beam internet access into uh, remote parts of uh, the developing world, not least in Africa, was meant to be this this beacon of hope for all the impoverished to remain unconnected. But it was not to be. Uh, instead of celebrating Facebook's next big step towards delivering Facebook-branded internet to the developing world via the, the satellite, Mark was compelled to express his disappointment at the disaster, which he called quote, SpaceX's launch failure. And um, he did indeed promise that this setback would not prevent Facebook on making good uh, on its intent to beam blue internet into the lives of the world's poorest people. So um, as he puts it, Facebook's commitment to connecting the world will not be deterred. And cue violence. Or not. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> it's good news if you're a World Remit customer or indeed uh, a regular customer of at least 10 other remittance platforms that had previously been banned from operating in Nigeria till this past week. Now, the Central Bank of Nigeria, the CBN, has now approved international money transfer operators uh, whose operations had been suspended since August this year. The ban saw hundreds of uh, IMTOs uh, suspend their operations, leaving the Nigerian diaspora to rely on only three operators, namely Western Union, MoneyGram, and RIA. It must have been a pretty lucrative three weeks for those three. Uh, nonetheless, World Remit was certainly one of the more uh, vocal, high-profile operators who only got permission to operate this past week. The CBN really is uh, trying to bring order to an industry that would typically see an estimated 50-odd percent of all remittances made to Nigeria go through unregulated uh, informal networks. Now, that's clearly not a good thing um, for many reasons. Uh, and now while people have been upset and in, in, in many cases inconvenienced by the CBN's uh, attempt to rein things in, I think we can all agree that on some level the fact that they are at least trying to curb illicit money transfers is at least a good thing and perhaps be patient with them. And here's to hoping that they find a solution um, that doesn't further inconvenience Nigerians living all over the world. We'll keep you posted on developments in that area.
Now, staying with West African news, the launch of the region's first mirror project is set to make open source software easier to access. Now, web hosting company Web for Africa has announced the launch of the Nigerian mirror project, which is poised to bring free and open source content closer to end users in West Africa through servers physically hosted in Nigeria. Now, the project aims to drastically improve download speeds and availability of free and open source software in Nigeria by bringing the content closer to the user and making the experience better by allowing for faster download. Currently, the Mirror hosts the full repositories of Ubuntu, CentOS, uh, which of course are both Linux operating systems, as well as the Python package index. Ubuntu and CentOS have given the project their nod of approval and uh, have integrated it into their official distribution network. So, West African coders, how excited are you by this news? Give us a shout. Let us know how you feel. Twitter handle is at African Roundup. To notable investment news next, uh, the company Box, that's Box with a double B and a double X, uh, the off-grid solar energy company, has landed a $20 million Series C investment to expand operations in Kenya and Rwanda. Now, Box's model is unique in that they not only uh, design their own household solar-powered products, but they manufacture them as well. Now, according to the company, they've sold more than 70,000 Box products in over 35 countries so far, and they claim to have provided off-grid power to over 350,000 people. That's nothing to sneeze at, folks. Now, the investment comes courtesy of the likes of McKinnon, uh, Kawisafi Ventures, and other investors, and should go some way to helping Box achieve their lofty vision of reaching 20 million people by the year 2020. The folks over at Box are certainly dreaming big. Now, meanwhile, in South Africa, transport tech company Where Is My Transport has raised 1.165 million pounds from Goodwell Ventures with participation from the Omidya Network and Horizon Ventures. Now, they've also opened their API up to developers uh, who might be interested in building journey planning applications such as fare estimators or create applications that serve analytics for more informed infrastructure investment and city planning as well as engineering messaging capabilities to help optimize journeys affected by delays and cancellations. Now, the money is the first closing of a £2 million seed round, and the startup aims to transform transport in emerging cities by using data on formal and informal transportation from static and real-time sources. Now, last year, the firm raised an estimated US$900,000 to launch an office in London, which clearly is paying off now uh, if the latest investments they've landed is anything to go by. But I'm sure the pressure is definitely on uh, for them now to demonstrate how they will do what precious few startups ever managed to do, even after landing massive investment, which is grow revenues and profits. Now, finally, as the great space race to building an autonomous vehicle, as well as an AI-enabled ride-hailing service, continues across the world, competition in Kenya's taxi-hailing industry continues to hot up. Now, this past week saw a new entrant called Taxi Chap Chap join the party. Uh, the company says it's been studying the market and running pilots for the past six months. And uh, one of their spokesmen has claimed that their unique security measures will set them apart from the rest. You know, the likes of Uber, Mondo Rides, uh, Maramoja, Little, and uh, the recently launched Taxify, which is trying to differentiate by being an open platform to all the, the older taxi cabs that don't make the cut to join the likes of Uber and Little, which have much more stricter guidelines around the age of cars. Uh, last week, we reported on Little's USSD ride-hailing capabilities. Uh, they, of course, touted this as a move to help the company spread to areas where users might not have smartphones and might still use feature phones. Uh, there's a lot of attempt at trying to differentiate from each other, which is good. I think it, it bodes well for the consumer. I do think that, there's, that the market is far too small for all of them to win. It should be interesting to see uh, who actually wins out in the end. It's hard to imagine 
though that taxi chap chap you know will garner sufficient interest and, and and sign up enough users by simply promising two lucky winners to you know a flight to dubai if they download the app between the 1st and the 30th of september Nonetheless, we do wish them well. We wish them all well. Uh, and, and meanwhile, of course, Uber's homegrown rival in Egypt, a company called Auster, has this week secured a 1.25 million bridge investment uh, led by angel investors and VCs in Egypt and the UAE. They plan to use the money to expand rapidly into more cities, presumably to gain first move advantage in some of them. They already are in 11 cities. I suppose they're looking to consolidate their homegrown advantage, if that's even a thing. And now those are the week's headlines, folks. And now, as promised, I'm going to share more highlights from Demo Africa 2016. We'll start first with a snippet from my chat with Harry Hare, the publisher of CIO East Africa magazine, as well as the CEO of Demo Africa. Now, he is telling me how high-level partnerships have been key to delivering on the mandate uh, that Demo Africa has to produce a live interactive platform to empower startup founders. Take a listen. Covering tech news across the continent um, and its evolution, certainly in the last, uh, certainly last two years, I'd have to say that partnerships are probably the, the biggest, most important thing uh, with regards to creating the kind of glue that will that will set our ecosystem properly. If you understand what I'm saying, and tell us about the level of partnerships and, and how important they've been to to making an initiative like this, not just another conference, not just another pitching contest. Um, and, and yeah, tell us who you're involved with, man. So, so one of the biggest uh, supporters of Demo is uh, a partnership called uh, the Lions Africa, and uh, the Lions Africa came together um, uh, to actually. Specifically, look at the African entrepreneurship and innovation ecosystem and say, hey guys, there's so many people doing different things uh, all over the place. Why don't we come together and have some kind of a unified approach to, uh, to helping uh, entrepreneurs? So in, in the Lions Partnership, uh, we, we, have, we have the U.S. State Department, we have Microsoft, we have Intel. Uh, so most of the big uh, IT companies, but also we have government agencies. Uh, so local, you know, uh, like in South Africa now, the city of Johannesburg now is part of the Lions Africa initiative. Uh, we, you know, in Lagos, we have the uh, National IT Development Authority, NIDA, as part of, of the Lions initiative. In Kenya, we have the ICT Authority of Kenya as part of the uh, partnership. So we've the World Bank is also part of the of, of the Lions Initiative. So is the African Development Bank. So, you know, when you have those kind of partners, then it becomes because they don't need to give you money. All they need to do is bring their brand into into the initiative that you you're working with, and you know their brand opens doors. Their brand uh, makes you be able to do things in a different way, and and those have actually been the force behind Demo Africa. Yeah, it really elevates a well-meaning initiative into, like, really, quite frankly, a, a life-changing one, an impactful one. So uh, tell me a little bit about the importance of the angel community on the continent coming together and supporting initiatives like this. Um, we certainly don't have as prolific an angel uh, investor set up as say silicon valley might have say other hotspots like like london maybe you know uh, tel aviv what would you say to to angels listening to this uh, to this podcast who are thinking about dabbling in, in investing in the in the tech and innovation scene so so interesting uh, because from the onset uh, we knew that we needed to bring in angel investors into the room and onto the table um so we 
we partnered actually initially we actually used to have uh, a separate process where we actually in, involve uh, angel investors and get them excited about investing in Africa and also just showing them the opportunities because a lot of them don't know that there are opportunities in in investing in tech. Uh, a lot of them are into uh, property and construction and really big things. Uh, but, w- you know, we need to show them that there's a lot of opportunity and your return on investment could even be faster uh, in, in investing in tech. So we were very, very aware of that. And we are actually part of the founding members. Demo Africa is one of the founding members of African Business Angels Network. Right, and that's, uh, I believe, the, their founding president would be Tommy Davies, yes. the godfather of, uh, <laughs> of angel investing on the continent? Correct, correct. So we are part of that, and we've been helping Aban uh, to, to reach out to different, uh, different countries and, and planting the angel investment bag. Uh, so we were so excited to hear that uh, South Africa now has an angel network, ACBAN. I don't know whether they call it whether it's SABAN or ACBAN. I think they said ACBAN, eh? Okay, so ACBAN. Um, yeah, and, and you know, the idea is to, to, to keep on um, uh, increasing these networks and bringing them together. So that you know, we can see deals happening, and we can see syndications of deals happening. Uh, so that we can, we can, we can be able to say, okay, uh, we're launching thirty startups, and uh, all those thirty startups, uh, if if you have a good business, uh, then you're likely or most likely to to get an investment from an angel, or from an angel network. Next, I spoke to the principal investment officer for Africa at Singularity Investments, Lexi Novitska. Now, Lexi is based in Lagos and uh, has unique insights on picking winning investments in a continent that has a notorious dose of data. Now, in spite of this, Lexi believes that Africa could very well deliver the world's next unicorn. Take a listen. Now, you've had uh, an extensive career working in investments, uh, much of it here on the continent, at least some of it, and, and, um, and uh, part of it elsewhere. Please tell me, from an investment uh, uh, standpoint, what's different about seeking out the best investments on the continent versus, say, other places you've had to do this job? Uh, well, a couple of things. I, I think that companies certainly find me easier. I don't have a problem with deal flow, that's for sure. Um, in terms of actually finding the quality ones, so it's much tougher. And, and we see a lot of teams that probably haven't had the professional experience in their industry trying to build a, a venture around it. And, and that's you know a lot of case when there's very low unemployment in general. Um, you see that the cost benefit of starting a business makes a lot more sense to these people, but they haven't actually had the experience working in the industry. Uh, of course, cost of capital is much higher. So you see companies that also probably haven't had the angel fin- financing in earlier rounds. Um, which means that they're, you know, they're they're either not growing as fast as they should, um, maybe don't have the mentorship as well that comes along with that angel capital, um, and and we come in at a little later stage, so so a lot of those companies are too early for us, and that's definitely something we've seen a lot of. Please unpack the word quality used in 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 your statement just now. What's uh, loaded in that word in terms of the way you think of singularity around the quality of an investment? Um, So there's a couple of things that we look at, um, and this is singularity specific. It's really important to us that the business model itself is has massive scale potential. Um, We're not really focused on the Legos only models. Another aspect is, is that it's uh, 
a new technology. We're not very attracted to kind of the copycat models, um, you know, the African internet group sort of guys trying to take something that's worked in another economy and bring it to Africa. That's not as attractive to us. Ooh, shots fired. <laughs> what, what, Ooh. What, is more, what is much more attractive, and we see especially the local environment as being a good incubator for kind of those technologies that maybe work best in Africa when they're growing and trying to test the model, but are really globally scalable. Um, so that, is, that in terms of business model, um, in terms of, of of teams certainly having the either experience working at a company, the entrepreneurial background of having successful ventures or even unsuccessful ventures and learning from them is also important. And uh, certainly unit economics and traction, um, those are two things that I think are necessary for us. Um, we're not super attracted to CapEx heavy models up front or models that are driven by substantial marketing spend. Uh, so we will really do look closely at unit economics as well. Okay, well, that that's sort of strange to me because um, a lot of the rhetoric around the difficulty VCs have in terms of finding investment, uh, some of the rhetoric includes the fact that uh, the, the investments aren't at the right size. So you, you, I would have thought the bigger the better on some level, right? But uh, you, you're not looking for a, you know huge capex up front. That's I don't know how does that work. Uh, yeah, so size isn't always necessarily better. <laughs> Fair enough. But I mean, uh, for a lot of people, they feel the pipeline is not delivering the sort of value or investable value from a size standpoint, even if it were to deliver value, uh, you know. Right. So maybe I should clarify a little bit. Um, very uh, software focus models are attractive to us. Hardware focus models are less attractive. So... There are certainly some cases where we're looking at hardware-focused models, um, but the problem you have with that is is they have to come up with the capex up front, finance the assembly of their items, and then try to distribute. And usually, their sales cycles are much longer. Uh, so, if that company had a bit of traction already and it was already moving or if it was a situation where you could actually make the business model for them, and, and that's often the case if they're marketing especially to the mobile network operators, then it could make sense, but otherwise we tend to stay away from those business models. How weighted is singularity in a certain space in tech? Are there certain, is there a certain pet area for you guys at the moment? Yeah, so um, there's several. Um, Generally, we really like mobile services when we're talking about B2C. Um, so technology that leverages off of the massive distribution network of the mobile network operators. Uh, on the B2B place, we, we also like services that especially cut costs to major industry players, particularly in the telco space. Um, we like cutting costs more than building additional revenue for them. We, we think that that's actually a place that's underpenetrated a lot or not focused on enough. Um, we certainly like some natural monopoly plays that, that have happened across Africa, and that's a, that's a space we look at. Um, I also very much like the business models that focus on the black woman globally as a consumer. So I think that's something that can a business model can sort of start here but expand globally to the black woman globally. Also, you know, there's a lot around fintech that we, we were focused on as well. Um, just really solving the right problem at the right time is important. Right. And so in terms of scalability, uh, in terms of the scalability you, you seek in the investments you, you'd like to sink you know, cash into, um, do you think regionally or do you think internationally primarily? 
beyond the borders of, of the continent is what I mean. Uh, do, you, do you like businesses that focus more on potential on the continent or on potential around the world? Um, potential around the world for me. Um, and, and for us, it's, it's probably important to mention that I'm very um, entrepreneur agnostic. So I, I don't need my entrepreneur to be African. They can also be European or American with an Africa-focused business model. Um, so we, we see a lot of those guys who are coming in Nigeria as their first market, but they would expand globally as well. So the problem I might have with that is that the idea that in a global context, I find that true innovation happens on the continent far more than I'd say it happens elsewhere in the sense that, uh, you know, the definition of innovation in the developing world might involve being able to book my movie tickets so much easier than I did before or being able to catch an imaginary animal in a park or something like that. Whereas there might be very Africa-specific issues that are important to solve that might not be pain points in a more developed market. Does that mean if I have that kind of idea and I'm listening to this, I shouldn't even bother giving you guys a shout? Well, they, they also might be pain points in other emerging markets, right? So it doesn't have to be um, just Africa or just Lagos-focused. Uh, the, the point that I was trying to make is that I think that in a, an economy like I'll take Nigeria, for example, because that's where I spend most of my time, where you have a very unloyal um, mobile subscriber base, so they're willing to switch networks very quickly. In- incredibly f- price-sensitive consumer base, and also a uh, mobile n- network industry that has to roll out to rural areas under regulatory constraints. Um, and But these areas are, are places where the average revenue per user doesn't really make sense, given their high CapEx model. All of those factors are very unique to Nigeria with a large population that actually make developing technologies that suit that market and incubating them there. It's the most ideal environment to do that. But these business models might also work in the U.S. as, as maybe the, you know, there's higher switching costs there. So it would, it, they'd have to be tested and proved in other markets as well. And where do you think this trend towards, say, the, the Lagos, the quote-unquote Lagos-only or Lagos-first uh, you know the drive towards Lagos only or Lagos first. Where do you think that comes from, and um, is it? Do you think it's it's grounded in in, in business fundamentals? Well, it's it's certainly grounded in macro factors, right? I mean, people are seeing um, it's a massive population that's been underpenetrated with with services. First time smartphone users having access to all of these new goods and services, so it's an extremely attractive market. Why would anyone start a business and basically say, I'm not interested in the rest of the world? I don't know. <laughs> uh, but, but many are. And, and look, I was just on a panel with uh, Jason and Joku, and he said actually exactly that. He's not interested in ev- even other metro areas outside of Lagos in Nigeria. Um, he thinks that there's enough consumer base there to, to grow healthy, happy businesses. And he's probably right. But um, for us, it's just not the scale we're looking for. Uh, I'm willing to take some of those longer bets and hopefully have a, you know, another a unicorn. And I do think that there are unicorn potentials that can happen in this market. Let's talk about that because I feel like there might be an unhealthy fascination around the idea that the next unicorn could come out of Africa. Not that I have an issue with, you know, I have any issue being uh, open to the idea or even 
optimistic that it could happen. But I just feel like, isn't it like an over uh, You know, sl there might be slight and over enthusiasm in that in that uh, direction, and it might in fact harm uh, the the pragmatism startup founders need to have in order to just survive what may be five years of nothingness before maybe <laughs> something happens. You know. Yeah, look, I think it's only a matter of time. I mean, if you look at um, Asia 10 years ago, uh, they certainly had a, you know, burgeoning entrepreneurship and, and tech ecosystem. And, and now there's been a lot of unicorns that have come out of that space. Um, I'm not saying that that should be an entrepreneur's focus, uh, getting to be, a, you know, a, a great big company. Or something even that will attract Silicon Valley money, which is a lot cheaper, by the way, and it is attractive to to get that money into your company. Um, but I do think that the, we'll see a lot more of that coming from this continent. I mean, the, there's a massive population that uh, you can really distribute services over the mobile devices, higher uptake than any other market, um, and some great entrepreneurs starting businesses. So I, I think that that certainly will happen. There's a profound data scarcity on the continent that continues to, you know, to pervade um, pretty much every industry. And uh, one wonders, I mean, uh, I know you've got, um, you, you were a business analyst many, many years ago. You, you dealt, had to grapple with data and certainly as an investor, um, one likes to think that many of the decisions you make are based on data. And uh, whereas for, for Africa, this is a massive blind spot for all of us involved in 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 starting and investing in businesses on the continent. How do you balance your background in crunching data or at least using data to make informed decisions with now leading investment drives on the continent without it, or at least with much less you, than you might have wanted or needed? Yeah, so that's definitely, definitely a problem. Um, I do think that founders are focusing a lot more on that internally and and they're I love founders that tear apart uh, you know who their customer base how they're acting on their their app or their websites um, and look at kind of as much data as they can once once they've launched um, I also think that that's a huge revenue opportunity for for companies to kind of monetize that data and a lot of the companies were invested in that's part of their their revenue model as well in terms of investing without the, the data, I think that that's why you have to also be on the ground. Um, the information isn't there, but, but being on the ground and actually you know, sp speaking to people, feeling it every day, um, it's, yeah, it's, a, it's a due diligence hack. I mean, there's no other way. <laughs> and as a percentage of the deals that you, 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 know, you, you see through, you know, out of 10, how many of them are actually hunches based on what you just said? How, how many? How many deals that, how many deals would you typically close out of 10, say out of, out of every 10 would be based on experience, intuitive, uh, an intuitive understanding of the environment you're in, as opposed to say data on a screen. So 10 out of 10. <laughs> what? Really? There's a, there's at least a factor of that in every company that I've invested in. Um, I mean, look, some some have business models that we have worked in. Um, I'm contradicting myself now because they, they're business models that have worked in other emerging markets. And now we're, we're trying to sort of replicate that in an African context. 
by the so way. So there is some data, and, and certainly it's, but that's not something you'd like typically to copycat necessarily. Yeah, I was going to say, by the way, it's not working the same way we thought it would because it's a totally different market. Um, but yeah, I, you know, we, we look at numbers, but at the end of the day, the amount we can rely on it, um, it's, it's hard when you don't have a lot of information and hopefully that'll get to be better and better over the next couple of years. And I think it will. People need to share their data more. Harry Hare will tell you that at the heart of why Demo Africa exists is a burden to add value to startup founders like Ishmael Rahdawi from Morocco and Brian Ondari from Kenya. Now, first I'll play you a clip where I catch up with Ishmael just moments after he had pitched his startup to the judges at Demo Africa 2016. And I asked him to tell me a little bit about his Wi-Fi startup, Nextwe. And in doing so, I got to peek into the psyche of this young startup founder. Take a listen. Tell the people uh, what you do in Morocco. What's your startup all about? Uh, what's it called? So actually, our startup is called Nextwe. Next, we like we are building the best Wi-Fi user experience for businesses. Actually, what we do is we help business owners like in hotels, industry, restaurants, coffee shop. It's like to we help them to maintain and increase their customer retention rate. So this is basically what we are doing. Sounds good. Who who are you dealing with? Are you dealing with people in retail? Are you dealing with events like the, like like this conference that we're at right now? Who's your who's your target audience for this service? Actually, our target audience is. Every single people is working in hospitality industry, you know, like hotels, restaurants, coffee shops, even in events. So this is actually what we are dealing with, with with our target. Yeah. But like to reach, I think the question is how to reach the, the, the target. Actually, we are, we are, we are like, like going like in one to one interview and door to door sales. So so this, are, this is how we, we reach our customers. And tell me a little bit about the problem you're solving for these people. Who, what problem are you solving for the hospitality industry? Okay, so so every single people is is involved in, involved in in hospitality industry. Know that is it's so hard to to acquire customers, and even if you acquire customers, it's more difficult to to keep them returning. So this is mainly for two reasons. Like there is a huge competition in this field, and secondly, there's like. Customers who came to the venue, like a hotel, they left no no data behind them. So, like this 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 organization doesn't have any data about the customer, and you don't know how how to engage with them, or keep in contact with them after they, they leave. So, this is like we are trying to do. is 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 it's like marketing proximity, to engage with with your customer while they are in the venue. So, okay. So let's assume I'm a hotel. I say I definitely want to buy into your service. How does it roll out? How do wh- and what's the customer experience like? The customer experience basically is is if you want to connect like to our Wi-Fi system, you have to con- you should connect using one of your social profiles like Facebook, Google Plus, Twitter, etc. And one once you use it, we just give you free and unlimited Wi-Fi access. But be- this is like the user experience. But behind the scene, we have like we based interface that we allow merchant to access to them, and they can get like whole details and data and insights analytics about the customer so they can know more they can know them more and know how to engage with them and keep them returning using this data so from a coding perspective your platform interacts with the api of the various social networks does it exactly yeah Yeah. we are like integrating social network api with with wi-fi technology so it's like a hybrid of two technology basically yeah and then, of course, as the customer or the, the, the client of the, the business, uh, I enjoy free Wi-Fi, and I'm, I'm loving it. Yeah, exactly. Great for the brand. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You enjoy the Wi-Fi, you don't pay anything to get it, and it's unlimited and secure. And so, Ishmael, how old are you, man? I have 26 years old. And what did you study? What, how, how did you end up, in, uh, how did you end up uh, coming up with the solution? Actually, I don't have like, any experience, like professional experience. I just after getting my, my engineering degrees in networking science, I decided to start my own company. So it was great, like great venture. It was like uh, one year and a half that we are running this business, and it's going well. And are you are you cash flow positive? Are you profitable yet, or are you pre-revenue? Actually, we are revenue stage. Yeah, yeah. So we are at least we are like we, we said covering our expense. So, but we are growing slowly but surely. You know. So what are you gonna do if you win this competition, man? I just go home and and sleep and have a coffee <laughs> i'm so tired man <laughs> so i did like 18 hours flight so just enjoy the time and <laughs> we actually forget how far morocco is from from uh, from this part of the world we're obviously in south africa morocco is way up north tell me some of the immediate differences culturally that you've experienced crossing flying over the Sahara, uh, over East Africa and Central Africa, all the way down to the south. What have you experienced getting off the plane, experiencing the culture of Johannesburg and at this, at this conference? What's the, what's the biggest thing that just hit you in the face? Actually, I visit like many countries, but this one is like South Africa. Is like, I feel like it's different things, you know. It's very weird for me. From the, it's the, the, there are like no... No contact with, with Morocco and South Africa. There's a huge difference between the both countries. So, like, even even to, to find something to food, like, to, to eat, I struggle a lot to find. So, this is, like, what, what something I didn't like. But Johannesburg, it's, 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 very, it's very advanced country. And I just like, like, and it seems like it's not part of Africa, you know. It's very, like, it's very huge. It's very advanced country, yeah. And so what are, what are some of the things that were the same? What, if you could pick anything that you could sense that was similar between Morocco and your experience here in Johannesburg? As a human, we are all African, so are all sharing the same continent. So the human is something that we share together, yeah. And tell me, what, what, is your, what, what is your family make of uh, the, 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 the path that you've chosen? It's a very difficult path. You've, you've put a lot of time and passion in this business. You said a year and a half about... Um, what have you sacrificed in order to do this, and what does your family think about it? Yeah, actually, fi- my family is, is supporting me. Sometimes, like I had to work for 18 hours a day, and it's very tough things. And just like to get this initial investment, they helped me a lot. So they are supporting me. And even when things like go tricky, I find them here to to help me and support me. So basically, they trust me, and they know that I'm I'm a guy that. Can, can, can do it and actually I will do it I like that there's that swag again man yeah <laughs> you should be confident you know it's, it's, it's entrepreneurship it's not about getting a job but you have to create the job and create the value if you're not confident I don't know if someone will, will partner with you or, or trust you to do, to do business or buy your product even you should have like this self-confidence and not over can I ask you this really tough, maybe even unfair question? What if this doesn't work out, man? I will try out other things, you know. It's life. We're not sure always that things, like, it's not always things are going as, as expected. But I think it's just with hard working, passion, and, and perseverance, you can make it.
you can meet it here. So finally, take a listen to this chat I had with Brian Ondari, whose startup Airclip uh, aims to help students and administrators stay organized. The idea for his startup came to him because of a problem he experienced while he was a student. Uh, and so here he is telling me about his homegrown solution to a very African problem. So tell me a little bit about the, the business and what it does. Who, who are you guys? What problems are you out to solve? The easiest way I always tell about the story of Airclip is from a personal story. So a few years ago, I was a student, and I sat for my end semester exams. And it didn't take me long to realize I actually was, I was actually sitting for the wrong exam. To cut the long story short, a few weeks later, the results were out, and I failed the test. It's not that I didn't read. It's just that I read the wrong exam schedule. So this is a problem that lots of students out there can relate to from missing classes to handing in assignments late to conflicting classes that the school can't really do anything about. So you can actually imagine how many students are walking out there confused about the static data the school is giving. What most universities do, more so in Kenya, right now is they print out the exam schedules of the school timetable schedules and paste it on a notice board. Few days or few hours later the information has changed and someone will just walk by the timetable on the notice board and read all the wrong stuff. So that's something that happened to me and that's how we started the whole idea of building a live timetable for students. I see. So who, who are you targeting with the solution? Are you targeting the institutions that need to find a, a more efficient way to communicate? Or are you targeting students who are looking for a more efficient way to make sure they <laughs> they've got the right information? Um, statistics have it that by the year 2025, there will be close to 265 million university students. And this is a population that we really want to tap into. So how we're doing this is, one, we're giving students an effective real-time communication channel. Think of Airclip as a Slack for students. If you've used Slack, think of it as a Slack for students, where students get reminded of what's happening real-time. They can keep track of the assignments. They can view what other classmates of theirs are sharing. For schools, we are giving them data that is helping them as a school better plan for their students. And... Secondly, give value for information, uh, for give value for money that the students are paying. And it's not even about the whole business that uh, uh, we think of it as a company, but one thing we're passionate of is how do we empower students to achieve their academic goals. The country I come from, Kenya, has a dropout rate of 32%. That's a serious thing. Students are dropping out of campus every day for various reasons. I have a friend of mine who dropped out of campus just because she got a kid. It's a big concern. Just that the households of school and having a kid, she couldn't be able to manage. I have friends right now who cannot really tell how the degree they're taking is relevant to the job market. It's a big concern. I have friends who are working part-time and still can't juggle between school and work. So as a platform, this is something we feel that at the end of it all has a very huge impact on how students achieve their academic goals at the end of it all. And considering all the data they provide on a day-to-day -day basis, 
we can tap into this information and help them achieve their goals. And so explain the model to me. How do you make money uh, off this platform? Sounds like you're out to do very good altruistic things. How do you survive? <laughs> yeah, the big question, how do we make money? And everyone is always asking us, how do you make money? Yeah. So we have our users being the students. It's a free platform for them. We have our customers being schools. So for the schools, we have a um, model where they pay subscriptions to access critical information about students. How are students rating the course they're taking? How many students are there on campus at a specific point in time? So this helps the, student, uh, the universities better plan for these students. Another key thing is as a platform, and we value is most of the students, everything is always, all their time is always planned for them by the school. So as a platform, we always know how many students are free at specific points in time. So we take this information, all still on our subscription model, we give this information to businesses so that they can make business intelligence out of it. I can give you an interesting case we had a few months ago when we were running a beta test. We realized we had a group of students. Their classes were ending on Thursday and a tour company organized a tour for these students because the classes were ending on Thursday and the next class is on Friday. So this is business intelligence for this business. Right, and so the way you think about it, do you think about this as a... a a solution or a, a solution for Kenya or a solution that could work anywhere else? What approach do you take to, to growing this business? Uh, what are your dreams in that regard? Okay. Um, good question. And how we look at Airclip, it's more of a free platform that we are letting students, one, achieve their academic goals and still having fun and seeing the importance of being in a good education system. So a key milestone for us is a few months ago, we got accepted at the Global Incubator Network in Vienna as part of the 10 most innovative companies around the world. And we feel this is a good opportunity for us as a company to grow, to reach more students out there in the world and help them achieve their goals. In a few months from now, we'll be launching our third version of Airclip. We call it Airclip Aura. And with this platform, we're looking forward to a scenario where students will have more freedom to engage on the platform. So instead of just having Kenyan students on the platform, we are going to open up the system to every student around the world. A big, big thank you to Harry Hari of Demo Africa, uh, Lexi Novitska of Singularity, Ishmael Rakhtawi of Next We, and Brian Ondari of Airclip. And during the course of this week, we'll be sharing the full conversations I had with these folks on our SoundCloud account. Uh, you'll find them all in the Quick Chats playlist, so do look out for that. And you can find us on soundcloud.com forward slash African Tech Roundup. And so that's the week's show, folks. But once again, this episode of the African Tech Roundup is brought to you by our sister podcast, African Tech Conversations. 
The series features relaxed, in-depth chats that I've had with leading entrepreneurs, innovators, and executives who are intimately involved in Africa's tech scene. Now, of course, the latest installment of the African Tech Conversations podcast features the illustrious Tommy Davies and is certainly worth a listen. Just head straight to our SoundCloud account at soundcloud.com forward slash African Tech Roundup and click on the African Tech Conversations playlist when you get there. And so that does it for this week. Do catch the show again next week, Monday, on africantechroundup.com at 9 a.m. Central African time. Until then, I'm Andile Masugu. Take it easy, Africa.